G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. You might like to, uh, whoa, you might like to turn back to the First Samuel uh, reading to keep that one uh, open before you and be able to follow along. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in First Samuel and um, we've had a couple of other uh, preachers at different times. So I'd like to just help us ease our way back into the story, remind ourselves, reacquaint ourselves with, with what's happening there in First Samuel chapter 12, if I could, by asking this kind of provocative question, has the Word of God had its day? Has the Word of God had its day? Uh, and it's high time that it took a back seat in our lives so that greater and more pressing and more tangible, uh, more compelling, more urgent um, causes and commitments and people and purposes uh, assume a bit more control and direction in our uh, lives in this world. Welcome back to the story of 1 Samuel, uh, which we're taking up at chapter 12, but I ask that question, has the Word of God had its day? Um, not because it's the modern question, uh, the question that our 21st century world must finally face, as if it were a novel question, as if it were some new realisation, um, that we, uh, we, as if we've never thought of it before throughout history, has the Word of God had its day? No, friends, I ask it because I believe that's the question that the prophet Samuel addressed himself to those 3,000 years ago at Gilgal with the people of the Lord gathered before him, the people of Israel, on the day of King Saul's accession to the throne of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Has the Word of God had its day? It's not a new question, brothers and sisters. Even if it continues to unsettle hearts and minds in our modern world, uh, and it's not a new question, brothers and sisters, as if we don't have answers uh, that we need that the answers that we need to press back uh, with a firm and a confident reply. Um, is it fair to say, though, uh, that in our modern quest, in our modern setting, we do feel that question very keenly? Has the word of God had its day? Uh, perhaps we, some of us, might feel it for ourselves. Has the word of God had its day in my life? Uh, because just practically speaking, time and priorities and just life have led us to drift away from the Word of God being central in our lives, from that, that what was once a firm mooring for us, what once was a firm anchor, the thing that we were tethered to most closely, the Word of the Lord is now one of the boys bobbing about in the sea around us, but it's one of them that's actually more distant from us now. Uh, perhaps others of us, we fear it, um, has the Word of the Lord had its day, we fear it not so much for ourselves, we're still pretty closely tethered to it actually, but for our children, uh, or for our siblings for that matter, or for our close friends, has the Word of the Lord had its day because they don't appear to pursue life with any particular reference to it anymore, what do we do about that? Um, is that in fact evidence uh, we might ask ourselves in some darker moments, evidence of some failure on God's part, actually. Brothers and sisters, 1 Samuel chapter 11, 
chapter 11, which we looked at several weeks ago, it brought us to this pivotal moment in Israel's history, chapter 11 did. Finally, the people of God, do you remember, they had seen their king to be, um, Saul, uh, lead them to victory over Nahash. Do you remember that Ammonite monster Nahash with the eye gouging and all of the rest? And that means that finally the people of Israel felt that they had the king that they wanted. They had someone to rule over their life whom they could be closely tethered to. Finally, we have this tangible, this real, um, this compelling, great, uh, potent ruler um, uh, whom we might bend our lives to, give ourselves to, throw our weight behind. And on that very day, we hear the now elderly prophet of the Lord, uh, the one who anointed Saul and who speaks for the Lord God of heaven on earth, we hear Samuel make a speech. And I want us to listen closely to Samuel's speech today and uh, at least be answering for for ourselves, is it a concession speech? You know how on the night of an election... Uh, the defeated party leader will make a concession speech, the defeated one. Is this a speech of defeat, that the word of the Lord admittedly now must take a back seat and it's time for more credible, more reliable, uh, more believable, more potent rule to direct your lives more closely? It'll be better for everyone that way. Is that what's going on in 1 Samuel chapter 12? Or is Samuel teaching us, as the people of God, the wonderful news that though various powers might vie for your very life, the Word of the Lord has not had its day, rather His Word has and will and will continue to have its way in your life and in the world and in the plans of God, even today. Uh, Shall we pray together as we Uh, come to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Our Father God in heaven, the Lord from everlasting to everlasting, we do confess before you that too often we ignorantly and perhaps arrogantly imagine that ours is the first generation to ever face the kinds of questions and challenges and impediments to faith that we do face in our day. And Father, we acknowledge, of course, that each, each age is unique in its own way and uh, we don't want to despise that or deny that. We do want to give thanks to you for all of the good things that are um, new or unique or special privileges, at least, in our modern world. And yet, Father, there is nothing new under the sun. All that is has been before as your word reminds and assures us. We confess that we lose sight, O God, of your patient faithfulness over the generations. We become perhaps forgetful that the word that you have written for us from the pages of history remains the word of God to us, your people today. And it is sufficient, it is sufficient to make us wise for salvation and to thoroughly equip us in our day for every good work. So would you please move by your spirit in our hearts and minds and wills and consciences right now, that we might let your word have its way in our lives. We ask that for our good as well as for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. I have four questions, four questions to help us explore 1 Samuel chapter 12 today. What, who, how and where? What, 
who, how and where and I'll expand on those so that they make a little bit more sense as we go through. The first question is what? What have I taken from you? What? Uh, and this introduces Samuel's speech there to all Israel as they're gathered. Um, I don't think, let me say this clearly, I don't think he is resigning. This is not a resignation speech. It's not a concession speech, nor is it a resignation speech. I don't think he's resigning from his role, uh, as will become clear a little later on. There is an ongoing role for Samuel as a prophet, delivering the word of God and, and ministering in that way to, to Israel. But what, he, what is he doing? What he is doing, I think, is his making space for a king in the leadership of Israel. No longer will Samuel lead as judge and prophet, he is making space for a king in the leadership of Israel, God's people um, back in that day. But before we read Samuel's words here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, could we just duck back to chapter 8? Could we do that quickly, please? It's probably on just the previous page or maybe the page before that. Um, they give us a few words of context because I think we're supposed to hear Samuel's words uh, now in chapter 12 with these prior words from chapter 8 still burning in our ears, actually. 1 Samuel chapter 8, we'll pick it up from verse 11. Samuel is speaking and he's speaking God's words here to the people of Israel when they were gathered back then. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 11, he, as in Samuel, said, this is what the king who will rule over you will claim as his rights. He will take, do you remember the sermon now? He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots, some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take, this is the king, this is what the king will do, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants, he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now come to chapter 12, verse 1. How has this prophet of the Lord God of heaven carried himself across the course of a ministry that he began as a boy in the temple of the Lord under Eli the priest. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and grey and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, <clears throat> I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, they replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness 
they said. Isn't it true that one of the great tragedies, or I suppose peculiar tragedies, uh, when pastors or missionaries or um, priests uh, become caught in some moral failure and, and exposed as, as frauds uh, or abusers or bullies um, or whatever it is, is it, it's, there's a continuous cycle of it in our news media, isn't there? Uh, it isn't just the crime itself, whatever it is. It isn't just the money. In a sense, we don't really care about the money if they're frauds or whatever. Um, or the oxen or vineyards or cattle or donkeys or, you know, in the, in the context of Israel. It's not, even it's not even totally the particular sins that they've carried on with whatever it is. We do care about the victims. I don't mean to make out anything else. But isn't it particularly that they have done all of those things even as they have served the one who says, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus speaking, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's Samuel doing here? I think Samuel wants Israel to take stock. Has being led by the word of the Lord, I mean, that has been my ministry since I was a boy under Eli through to now I'm old and grey and my sons are here with you, has being led by the word of the Lord, has it robbed you? Have you lost out somehow? Has it taken from you and bled you dry? I think we need to ask ourselves, those of us who know the Lord and know his ways and have sought to live by the Son of Man, I ask you, have you missed out on anything in life that really matters? Has following the Lord robbed you, taken from you, deprived you? The world will tell you that you're missing out on all sorts of things and maybe you have missed out on all sorts of things. But have you really lost out? Take a good hard look. What have you lost? Has the Son of Man held back anything from you that is truly good? What have I taken? What has been taken? Second questionly, secondly, Second question, <laughs> who should you look to now? Who? Who should you look to now? The Israelites, um, they felt, didn't they, that times they were a-changing. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 12, come gather around people and there they all are. Uh, and we often get to feel that times they are a-changing in our day and the old road of perhaps Christian faith is rapidly aging. Not that Bob Dylan would have said that. Um, but Samuel takes Israel, do you see, on this, on this brief history lesson. And the lesson is this, many things change in this world, but one thing stays exactly the same. Many things change, but one thing, there is one who stays the same. Who should you look to? 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 5. So Samuel said to them, wrapping up uh, from before, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed, his anointed, is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron. Now, if you're just not quite sure on where they fit in history, we're talking like um, 
500 years beforehand, okay? So he's, he's taking them on a history lesson. It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then stand here because I'm going to confront you with the evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron and who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place, but they forgot the Lord their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hatzor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab who fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned, we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths, but now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jeroboam, which is another name for Gideon, uh, Barak, Jephthah and Samuel, as in me. And he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you so that you lived in safety. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us. Even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen. The one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. Answer me this, uh, brothers and sisters, just to yourself, has anything really changed? On this historic day, 3,000 years ago, as Samuel is retiring as judge and is making space for a king among the people of God, King Saul of Israel, and so in a sense the kingdom of God on earth becomes visible in a, in a new way, I guess you could say, uh, now that they actually have a king over God's people, the kingdom of God, do you see? But has anything really changed? Anything that matters? I think Samuel would say, not really. Nothing has changed. Nothing that matters. The Lord anointed Saul today, just as he appointed Moses and Aaron for your ancestors. You have cried out today and he's heard you, just as you pleaded with him in the past. And so Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and even me, Samuel, O people of God, to whom must you look? The answer is not Saul as the answer for all of your problems. Isn't that clear? He may be the king that you have chosen, but what matters far more is that he is the king whom the Lord has set over you in his mercy to you. Brothers and sisters, in our day, aren't we tempted to think, that our world has changed so dramatically and spectacularly uh, and, and we just, um, we, we crave solutions to various problems that confront us in life and when just the kind of help uh, we have longed for comes along, uh, we kind of imagine that it has come to us somehow apart from the provision of the Lord and apart from the help of the Lord, as if he wasn't the one whose care for us extends throughout time. So when we feel exhausted, perhaps, uh, in life, the gurus of mindfulness and yoga, they're the the ones who have changed our world. Uh, Or when we fear our own laziness, and that's sort of the the enemy against us, the, the guides of toughness and of rules for life who motivate us and get us moving, they seem worthy of our attention... 
perhaps when we're struggling financially and to manage ourselves, what do we need? What, what we really need in life is a barefoot investor, the saviour of the middle class in Australia. When we fear for the environment, or we wish we could buy a Tesla, or we want to protect the old growth forests, or we, what do we do? We rally behind the champions of our day, and gosh, we're glad they're the ones who rose up. When we're unhealthy, uh, it's the experts or sometimes the pseudo-experts in health or nutrition who emerge and they draw a flock, don't they? And they provide answers or diets, they open our wallets, command our hearts uh, and the attention of their tribe. And look, I don't, I, I don't want to say, I know I've sort of made a, a bit light of them. Th there may be wisdom in many or most of those things. But look up, Samuel is saying. And let us not imagine that the Lord has somehow been caught napping and thank goodness that these folks came along to help us. So firstly, what? Then who? Thirdly, how? How have you responded? And friends, this is where Samuel, I think, turns to make it piercingly personal for the people of Israel. And in my estimate, he seems to really hit his mark and I wonder if it will for us today as we look at, uh, from verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 12. But when you saw Nahash, king of the Ammonites, uh, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. Come down to verse 16. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain. Wheat harvest, you understand, that's the dry, stable weather kind of time. Uh, and the rain might actually kind of stuff their harvest up, actually, to some degree at least. Anyway, and you will realise, halfway through verse 17, and you will realise what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. You know what follows? Things unfold exactly as the prophet of the Lord has promised. The rains and thunder came and they were astounded. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you and urge us to consider to whom or to what you have handed over the rule of your life, if not to the Lord. Isn't that what Samuel's getting the people of Israel to consider in their day? To whom or to what have you handed over the rule of your life, if not to the Lord? And unlike Israel, um, I can't really answer that for you. Is it fair to say our modern world, we are just a bit more varied and more complicated than Israel facing a singular enemy, King Nahash. Our idols are a little bit more subtle than it's just the Baals or the Ashtoreths, and I have the idols right here, you can see them. Uh, we are a little bit more subtle and varied, perhaps, but to whom or what have you handed over the rule of your life, if not to the Lord? Uh, some seek after, crave, worship wealth. They only feel confident when they're worth something, when their bank balance is very healthy indeed. They measure their wealth and their standing and who they are by numbers on a statement or in a portfolio. Some it's not wealth, for some it's work. You're only really happy, content when you're working and you actually have a really hard time resting. 
or retiring for that matter. Some know themselves only in their possessions, it's their possessions that really rule their lives. Not so much wealth, they're not necessarily worth a whole lot, but their possessions, constantly measuring ourselves against those who have not, or perhaps especially those who have more. Some have given their, uh, the rule of their lives to pleasure, and it directs their every thought and their step and certainly their calendar as to where they'll be on any particular night of the week or time of the day, governed by pleasure. Some depend on friends, which might sound kind of good, but no, I mean depend on friends and those friends' opinions or disapproval of the things that rule life almost as cruelly as any slave master, though not necessarily with intention. Some are ruled by their enemies, not directly, but through the bitterness that chews us up as we think about those against whom we have a grudge and it just directs, it rules us, it controls us, it controls our minds and consumes us. Some allow church, not Jesus, you understand, but church or religious reputation uh, or how I'm seen in the church to define and decide their steps, some uh, cannot see beyond themselves at all. And so every want or impulse or feeling or mood is the thing that really rules us. The point is, something, someone, anyone, anything, everyone but God, do you see? Can you identify with any of those? Because it seems that Israel could. They knew what it was to be no longer really ruled by the Lord and Samuel confronted them. Who, to whom or what have you given the rule of your life? Then finally, fourthly, where? Where will you go? Which I think, these verses, I think these are some of the most wonderful moments in the entire book of First Samuel, it reminds me of those, those simple moments of repentance and faith that we see in the early church, um, say in the book of Acts as we see the gospel um, confronting people in their sin or it, it stuck in their religious ways, religion with a, a hollowed out religion and we find the gospel in, uh, um, confronting them and, and drawing them to repentance and faith by the work of the Spirit in their lives. This is a wonderful moment here in Israel's history. Perhaps it reminds you of those moments of simplicity in your own life where the gospel has gripped you again, the glory of God has taken a hold of you in your life and you, you've uh, seen your sin once again before the Lord and yet it has been lifted from you through the mercy of God as if off your shoulders an almost physical weight has come off you through the forgiveness that you've found in Christ. Where will you go with your sin, O oh, oh people of God? Where will you go with your sin? Even your unfaithfulness, your confession that for too long you felt the word of the Lord drifting away into insignificance in your life and being ruled by others. Where must you go? You must go to the Lord Himself. Let's have a look from verse 19. The people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die, for we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. They get it, don't they? Verse 20, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. 
do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you and I'll teach you the way that is good and right but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Verse 22 there is the one that sticks out to me. There's lots of lovely words in there, but that's the one that sticks out to me. The Lord was pleased to make you his own. Have you taken hold of that for yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ? Sinner though you are, and I am, the Lord was pleased to make you his own. He is the God who has not taken from you, robbed you of life. He is the God who remains beside you and behind you in your life. He is the God of righteous judgment and yet the God who through Christ came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many, even for you. He is the God who is pleased to make you his own. Has the word of God had its day, brothers and sisters? The word of the everlasting God is for every day. And it's for today and it's for you. How about we come before God in prayer? Our Father God in heaven, may the word of the gospel, the word of our God, have its way in our lives every day. Your word is life to us. The gospel of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, it is the word that is about life, but it is the word which gives life and sustains us each and every day in the life that you would have us grow into and find before you. Lord God in heaven, may the wonder and the joy of that precious forgiveness that your people have experienced time and again down through history, may that wonder and joy be ours today as we bring our confession to you in repentance and faith. Lord, may that promise of rescue, even for a wayward and wandering, drifting people, draw us back to you again. Father, we do pray that for ourselves. Would you expand our sense of joy in Jesus, please? We also pray it for those dear drifters in our lives, those whom we love, but for whom it seems that the word of the Lord has had its day, in their opinion at least, for the present time. Father, would you work by your word and spirit that they might look up and see the Lord in all your generous goodness and hear your word and respond again in a robust recommitment. You are God from everlasting to everlasting and we know you are powerful to do just that. So in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.